Welcome to the pod, everyone. A shout out to SGS. Hey, Rusty, why are we uh, partnering with SGS? Uh, uh, some, some, some good people there. Pretty excited about their sports coaching courses and sports courses. Keen to make them industry ready so when people leave, they're able to go and transfer it to any kind of industries, coaching, teaching, being an analyst, business, whatever it might be. So I think, uh, yeah, I think it's pretty exciting times, really. So what's so special about their degree courses that others won't be doing? I think it'll be lots of uh, real good partnerships, uh, opportunities for people to, to get into different contexts and learn and practice. It'll be feel very applied. People will be stretched and supported and will leave you know, ready to just go and thrive in the uh, big old world out there. SGS College is the home of Bristol's higher education sports programmes. The programmes are designed to develop unique, innovative and creative sports practitioners ready for industry. Do you want to be a coach or teacher of the future? Start your journey here at SGS College and become more than just a graduate. Visit sgscol.ac.uk to apply now. Um, And at long last uh, on the podcast, Farrah Douglas, how are you? I'm good. How are you? I'm cool. I want to call you like all American all star. Like it's what comes to mind. I don't know why. Yeah, I don't know why either. <laughs> um, look, it's been it's cool. We've we've kind of I've I've been struggling to get on and, and make this work, but I'm I'm super excited. Um, unfortunately, I did not get to spend part of my July with you. It is probably my favourite four days of coach development every year. Quite frankly, I love it. Um, and my son gets to come as well. But uh, unfortunately, not this year. Uh, but we'll talk about it, I'm sure, at some point. Uh, do you want to kind of introduce yourself and um, tell people how you've ended up in that room with all your memorabilia on the back wall? Oh, yeah, there's unicorn stuff back there too. Um, well, my name is Farrah Douglas. Um, I am a former US 15s player. Um, I did two World Cups, 06 and 2010. I think I've 26 caps for the U.S. Um, fun fact is when Maggie Alfonsi got uh, nominated in 2010 for, what was it, IRB Personality of the Year, um, her destroying me in a tackle in our game against them during World Cup was part of her highlight clips. So I, that makes me famous, right? <laughs> I asked her if she would um, give me her jersey since I was part of her highlights. <laughs> she looked at me like I was crazy. Um, and then in 2011, that January, I retired from international rugby and transitioned into coaching and got talked back into playing, did one more tour, and then um, somehow found myself on staff for the the last three years of the 2014 cycle. So that was weird, coaching my my former teammates. So I didn't have very much time away from them. Um, but I've been coaching on and off sports in general since, but rugby in particular since two, 2004. So high school girls, high school boys, all-star U19s, under 23s, which is like college kids. Um, and I did some player coaching on my women's club team for a while. Um, I've done like consult. I've dabbled coaching pretty much at all all levels at this point. And then um, I'm a Bowdoin alum, which is how I met you. 
So I go back every summer and I work the um, Bowdoin's Polar Bear Camp, which is something I too look forward to going back. It's just, well, it's just fun being on campus because after I graduated, I think our residency for the 2010 World Cup was like one of the first times I had like been back on campus for like a really significant amount of time. And that was a bit surreal because they were so excited to have the team there, but I was like the closest thing they had to like the like local hero comes home. So there were like all of these like newspapers doing articles and stuff because the Bowdoin alum was on this team. And my mom even drove up to see games and she does not like rugby because um, to her it's too close to like football. Now it's okay because I have a job. Um, so that's how I met you. And I've just sort of like, once I showed up to my first practice at Bowdoin, like the, the bug just never let go. So I have not been involved in something rugby related since that first practice. So I'm finding a, like finding this job in a position like to be paid full time to, to coaches. I think it's, it's unique here in the States because there aren't a lot of opportunities like that where it is like the one thing that you do, you're not trying to coach and, you know, have a full-time job doing something else. Um, I'm very, very blessed in that. Nice. And you wouldn't be the only person that was smashed by Miguel Fonzi. So uh, you can at least yeah. rest easy with that. Uh, and just to give people context, so Bowdoin College uh, in Maine, uh, near Portland, um, the best lunches on the planet. So the best, the best food, the best menu on the planet, quite frankly. Oh, yeah. When I was when I was an undergrad there, that our uh, the cafeteria, like our food was like one of the best things for the school like not not as a student saying oh our food's really good but it was like something they were known for is like the cafeteria yeah it's that would be very heavy if i went to uni there so is that what is that how you got into rugby was that your first kind of taste yeah so um growing up i was like a multi-sport athlete so i, I danced for a long time surprisingly so because i'm not really that graceful um and then i swapped into sports so i played basketball, soccer, volleyball. And then when I got to high school, I picked up track and field and I stopped playing soccer and started running cross country. And so I did, those three were the last sports I played in high school. So when I went to Bowdoin, I went to Bowdoin and which is D3, it's a Nescat school, but I was going to run cross country and do indoor and outdoor track. I did do track and field for the entire time I was there. Um, I came out to cross country and I was like the team fat kid. And I was a little bit slower than everybody by a little bit, a lot, because Bowden's actually really good at um, cross country. So I was like, coach, peace, I'm out. I'll see you at indoor. And they were recruiting in the dorms and they'd come in and I think one of my friends was like, you should come out to rugby practice and try it. And I was like, uh, what is that? And they said it was um, like soccer and football. And I said, oh, football, my mom will hate that. Sounds perfect. So I tried to play football in high school and my mother was not, was not, was just, nope, there was no discussion about that. It was Farrah Denise Douglas, you were not playing that sport and we're not gonna have a conversation. And that was it. So when I showed up and they started doing contact practice, I was like, this is amazing. And that literally was it. I tried to play every minute 
I could. So whether it was an A side, B side, or C side game, because our roster was really big. Um, and we used to have those uh, old, the cotton jerseys with the long sleeves. So if it rained out, like your jersey stretched and it was like super heavy. It was just a blast. So that that's what I did. That's I picked it up there. Um, and uh, I mean, you know, Mary Bath. Mary Bath is awesome. I kept playing because when I graduated, her and Bob helped me find a club, a women's club team to play when I moved back, when I moved to Chicago for grad school. Otherwise, I don't know. I don't, I'm not sure if I would have had enough sense to like locate a club for myself. So. <laughs> I think, I think you're playing yourself down. However, yeah, Mary Beth and Bob would be, uh, I would definitely want them to coach my kids or, you know, coach. I mean, they're pretty wonderful people and they would be Mary Beth's like, um, <clears throat> it's something to think about actually as coaches is, you know, how, how much do we stay in touch with the players that, you, you know, because her reach would be pretty far and wide because she stays in touch with everyone would be my sense. Yeah, you know, and it's 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 interesting, hashtag funny, that you say that because, you know, as a collegiate coach now, when I'm recruiting and I talk to parents, Mary Beth is my example about, like, how I approach the relationship I have with athletes because next to their parents as coaches, we're probably the most influential adult these college kids are going to have in their lives because we have so many contact points with them. And then I talk about Mary Beth and the fact that I'm 43 and I still talk to her. That when I played for the US and I was playing All-Star, I hadn't even been selected yet. She and Bob used to come out to All-Star matches when we used to have ITTs and they would come in and watch those of us who were on G like the territorial teams. And you know, like I'm still in touch with her now. And I graduated, we're what, 2020? I graduated from Bowdoin in 1999. And I, Mary, Mary Beth is very much a part of like this, my, my being here and talking to you has a lot to do with Mary Beth's push for me to find a coaching position. And it was a conversation that she and I had had when um, Jeff Ward was still the athletic director at Bowdoin, which was like way before my classmate took over. You know, so she, like all of my rugby stuff in some way traces back to Mary Beth's investment in me as like, not just a player, but like a person. And for me, that's like something that when I talk to parents, because parents very much saw about trust. Because like we're this little school in the middle of nowhere in Maryland. And I like, I have six players from Guam and they're here because their parents talk to me on the phone. And then I kind of talked to them about my approach about family and Mary Beth and sort of like, that whole thing, that's why they come. It's because, like, it's so, it's so, it's all about trust. Yeah, well, me. <clears throat> Mary Beth's got a lot to answer for. I didn't realize you were 43 either. So, uh, having, seen, having seen you run around and, uh, and coach, uh, tell me about the, so we do polar bear camp every year, apart from this year. Um, what's your experiences? What, I mean, you, you and Griff have been doing it for about, Probably a lifetime. What Feels like, um, but polar bear camp is. I'm trying to think. I like. I don't think I have the right like adjectives for it. But it's like, for someone that hasn't gone, it's like an amazing experience for 
players because it doesn't matter if you've ever touched a rugby ball, if you've ever been on the field, like there is a learning place for all athletes to be like welcomed. Um, it's very much like it's, you're not being, it's not prescripted in the sense that like, it's not like a coach telling you, okay, we're going to, you're going to run from the green cone to the right cone. You're going to do this. It's all about like learning on the fly. Like, so it's, you know, game oriented, like you're getting things that you probably don't, you have no idea what is happening. Griff loves to create all those games where, you know, he explains what's going to happen. It takes them out in the field and you can see like the lights aren't quite turning on, but then they start running around and they start figuring things out without like someone sort of like manipulating them. And I think that's like kind of a cool piece of things as a player, but then as a coach, just watch these like really young players kind of sort themselves out because I think often as adults coaching youth we we place limitations on what they're capable of doing and what they're capable of thinking and I think that one of the things that the polar bear camp does really well is it leaves them the space to be expressive and creative in sort of like their athletic presence if that makes sense. I wrote down five words to describe the polar bear camp while you were talking. I think it's really individualized. So I think, yeah. as you said, I think the food's amazing. Um, I think it's very adaptable. So actually we'll probably follow the energy of the players and the coaches and adapt stuff. It's really hot for me and there's lots of mosquitoes and I had creative as well. So people will get to, do stuff and they'll be quite, I think they'll find it quite hard to start with some of them to go oh am I allowed to do that so because I'm so intrigued so actually what I'm originally intrigued about is like you as a player becoming a coach like what was that I mean what was that like were you have you evolved if I'd seen you you know 10 years ago would it have looked different or would it have looked the same what have you learned as a coach I hope it would look different. Um, I think the biggest lesson I've learned is like, I don't need to control anything. Cause I think early on in my coaching, I felt like I had to have a plan and everything had to fit within those parameters. And if it didn't, then it meant that the session or whatever my outcome, and I really didn't think about outcomes. Like I think when I work, I use language that I don't think even in my wheelhouse. Um, but I think the big thing is like control, feeling like I had to map out every second and A, had to actually go to B and naturally had to go to C. And there wasn't a lot of room for learning in the sense that like you, you have to make mistakes to learn. So the best learning is going to come from the biggest screw ups at a practice because you want them to happen there and not in a game. So if they're not taking, players aren't taking risks and trying things out at practice, you inevitably aren't going to have a very good performance because they're sort of like their ability to learn is limited. And I think early on in my coaching, I had, I had no idea because I, as a player, I was afraid to make mistakes because making mistakes meant that you weren't going to be selected, that you might miss an opportunity to attend a camp because, you know, so I think that early on my coaching was still very much connected to sort of like my identity as a player and like where my fear was there. 
And I, I would think that now it's, I mean, don't get me wrong. I like control. Um, but I'm much easier with sort of chaos happening. Yeah. My, my having watched you coach, I think you're the Pied Piper. I think the, uh, the girls love listening to you. I'm thinking I can't control this audience. And then Farrah rocks up and they're like eating, eating out of your, out of your hand. Um, I mean, what's that like? So, I mean, we chatted just earlier about like coaching in the U S and actually what you see, what you find now is as girls come to you, you're almost having to deprogram them to actually go, look, it's, I'm pretty cool. If you we're going to learn from some mistakes here. What's, I mean, is, is that something you're, you're having to work out how to do as a coach? Yeah, I think right, like where I'm at right now and kind of with my, my program in particular, because, you know, we're a really young program. I've, I have 44 girls on campus right now and I'm only going to graduate there two of them that are on campus. I have some seniors that are remote. But so I've got a team full of freshmen, sophomore and juniors. So they're really, they're young in their rugby, but they're just they're young in their maturity levels. And I'm a fairly intense human. Um, so trying to like balance sort of like, sort of my personality with my coaching and trying to understand how best to like communicate and empower them to kind of like go out and and do things and it's and it's a struggle because you know you have i feel like i don't know if this is across the board but i but i have found that over the years that the number of student athletes that tend to be somewhere on the spectrum dealing with like mental health is really high whether that's from just like having some type of anxiety to some things that can be more severe and understanding how you can sort of like build confidence and empower them without stepping into roles that you're not really equipped to do has been like a difficult piece for me. So I'm trying to focus on understanding like the different ways that my players learn and want to be communicated to, with because how I'm okay with someone talking to me is not going to work for everyone because I'm a, I'm a fairly direct person. Like I, I tend not to filter, but not everybody's okay with communication like that because it can come off as abrasive. And so understanding like the communication styles and the learning styles I have on a team of 44 girls and finding the balance to be able to give them all the information and the tools that they need to have a successful like practice and experience for themselves because it's going to be different across the board so like that balance has been hard and especially doing that across the zoom at the moment must be uh must be a good challenge oh yeah <clears throat> it's, it's interesting um you know and, and i feel bad because they've got this mix of live classes and classes on zoom so they're on screens all the time and it's different because it's not their social media where which is a whole different like engagement it's like i mean you put them in front of snapchat and it's like or TikTok, and they're completely different people you put them in front of a zoom where they're having to have something quote unquote that's a serious conversation and like the blank faces you get i'm like i just saw your TikTok the other day 
you know? And so just trying to find ways to like engage them, but like with things that sort of like meet them where they're at. Like what? Give me some examples of things you've been considering doing with them. Um, well, they're, they're, you know, we're, they're athletes and they're division one athletes. So the one thing common thread, I think all athletes probably have at some level is competitiveness. So I've been looking at creating like sub teams and like having a sort of like a team board that's running where everything we do is like your team can earn points and having some kind of like fun reward at the end of our fall season. So from like having like some video and coming up with stuff to present um, or if it's stuff that they're doing in the weight room, just trying to make things that traditionally we won't spend as much time on a bit more fun because we are limited in what we can get at on the field as we're going through kind of like this like phasing of return to play around COVID and knowing that we don't have competition. I went out and I bought, they're quite ugly to be honest, but those, they serve the purpose. I bought flag belts and they're like not Velcro. They're like the football ones that are on the little hanging things. So you really have to tug those things to get them off so that we can build into practice competition that's not competition. Because when we play games and it's not like, because we try to do small games with like drills and stuff, but like when I turn something into a game and there is a winner and a loser, or you can get points, like the like gloves are off. They stop worrying about like, did I spin past it? Did I not? Did I cut through the space? Cause they just, they start to do a better job of like playing what's in front of them because they, they want to beat each other. So it like, it buys into their competitiveness. So I talked to them and I said, don't worry, we're not going to have gains, but once we get through our phasing, you guys are going to get split into flag teams and we're going to have competition and we're going to keep like a, like score, like a tournament on a weekly basis. And like, you could see the faces that were like, oh, we've got competition coming. And I, I chose flag intentionally because uh, we could do touch, but knowing that we're going to be limited around contact, I was like, okay, so what can I do that's kind of fun out of the box? Because we're going to be limited before we can do like live kind of contact if we're allowed to get to it. And so I chose the flag belts because they're really difficult to get out, but you have to get in close to your feet and you have to be low to the hips to be able to pull them out. So when I explained that to some of the girls in their office, they were like, I didn't think about that coach. I was like, we have to be out of the box guys. And they were like, okay. And when I tell them that there's like, you, you can hear the sigh of relief that happens because they're like, we can't practice. And, I, and I'll just say, Hey, we're just going to be creative and we're going to be out of the box. So just bear with me. And we're going to be doing stuff that we probably normally wouldn't do that maybe we'll keep. And so that's kind of where I'm at is just trying to, make things fun because yeah. they're carrying enough stress right i mean the school year is vastly different than anything they're used to online learning is not easy um and i think that you know if i can provide them this you know what they get out of athletics like the activity and the fun and the competitiveness and the connection um then it'll hopefully provide them some 
some balance and consistency in this semester because yeah. it's hard for them as athletes when you tell them they can't compete. So I think that like, that's the big struggle right now is just kind of like dealing with the, you know, every week it's like something different with COVID where you're not really sure what's happening. Like, are we allowed to practice? Are we not allowed to practice? Cause we're still in this whole return to play. And as our, our university, and I think for most universities to have athletes and students back, it's just like fine line that you're navigating between allowing them to have some normalcy, but also balancing like the reality that we are facing right now with COVID and all of the things that are kind of like packed into that, that we're still not quite sure about. Yeah, it's a good point around like <clears throat> their identity and how competitiveness fits in. I've never really thought of it like that. What, um, what about you and your coaching team? So um, you, you've said you're quite direct. You, you sometimes want control. How do, how do you co-coach with people? What's, uh... Oh, I can be difficult. <laughs> like there's no doubt about that. Um, my assistant coach Meredith last year, um, her personality is a, little, a bit more relaxed than I am. Um, so it was kind of like a little good cop, bad cop, but she reminds me of, a bit of Mary Beth, like, like very nurturing, like, but when she needs to, can put the foot down. Um, and I guess I didn't really have to worry about like the delegation of things because last year her because she's a part-time coach um, for me. Her work schedule made it really difficult for her to be here during the day. So the situ like the way time balance was managed out for her, I didn't really have to, like, it kind of fell back where a lot of the control and decision-making because I was always in the office, kind of just sort of sat with me because of her, her other job, didn't allow her to do the things that she was able to do the year before. And so she's actually moved to volunteer because with COVID, the like workload that she's carrying has increased like twofold and they're not hiring any new people. So she's gonna come on as like um, a specialist around like backline stuff and like kicking, so attack and kicking. Um, and my new assistant, I've, I'm still hiring one. Um, I haven't, we haven't finalized who that individual is yet. But my new assistant, Lance, um, we work really well together. Um, he was actually one of my last all-star coaches in 2010. Um, and I've coached with him when I was at Penn State. So we've known each other for 11 years now. Um, so he's worked, out, he's worked out how to work with you. Yeah, because he knows my personality really well. And he's he's just so good at what he does and he's great with people, um, with players, with parents. And yeah, I like, it's hard to kind of describe, but I, Lance could head coach a program without a doubt. Like, um, so I don't even think of him so much as an assistant as he's kind of like, like my co-head coach. Cause if, if I had to get on a plane and leave for two weeks, like I would not stress out and panic that with everything that's happening right now, that the te like the girls would like fall apart. When I came to, to England and did all of the professional development with you and Griff, every day I had text messages and like emails and phone calls because they were like, coach, 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 coach. Cause they're like, 
there you don't realize it but you're like your athletes like they depend on you a lot for like a lot of things that aren't even like on on field so with my group and as needy as they can be um i would not worry because they'd be in good hands with him they'd be in good hands with meredith as well but his time makes it easier for me because he can be here because he's retired and he was my scout for high school americans so like having someone that understands the the type of athlete that i'm looking for is makes the recruiting piece of things even easier because he has an eye for it and his ability to like like take video and analyze a game um is super beneficial because it's it's a place where i struggle so in my areas that i consider myself like weaker where i need development are places where i feel like he's really strong and so i think that creates like this kind of like working balance where i can learn and he's open there are things that he was like I do well that he can learn from me so it's like it's more like collaboration than it is a head coach and an assistant coach if that makes sense nice how are you doing your personal development what's the type of thing so you were part of the premiership rugby thing came over to England with that obviously so yeah we're waiting for that to happen Oh, that was, that's to TBC. That's uh, yeah, TBC. Um, so well, I stalk you and Griff on a on a fairly regular basis, and that has afforded me some really great shadowing opportunities. Um, I think the one that I I talk about the most from that time when I when I was last in England was watching you with the men's field hockey because I know nothing about that sport, but it was interesting to kind of like see coaches in an environment working on skills and kind of like seeing them create drills and stuff and trying to figure out like what the outcomes were, not knowing anything about the sport and just kind of like watching the dynamics between the players and the coaches. So that was pretty exciting. Um, and then I did two, I went to New Zealand and Christchurch for three weeks. Um, I would have uh, also would have gone back for a second part, but, COVID happened. Thanks. Um, so I did a two week coaching course with coaching course with the Crusaders for the I, um, their international high performance unit. Um, so I was their first female to attend. So that was like a two week long course. And then I spent an extra week there to do some one-on-one. Um, and that was a lot of learning, pretty exciting. Um, there were some moments where I think the coaches in the room weren't sure what to do just like, like sort of having me like, just, just different. I think having a, like a woman in the room and like that happened a lot. Well, because I don't think that at the higher levels, there are a lot of us coaching and a lot of the coaches that were the crusader course were, um, coaching somewhere in like, I want to say, depending on where they were, whether it was like former national team coaches or somewhere in like the, high performance spectrum, whether they were like a MITRE 10 coach or, you know, looking to break into that. Well, why do you think there aren't many female coaches? And that's interesting. That's the first female coach they've had. That's incredible. Why do you, why do you think that is? Um, I, you know, I don't know. It, it like, because they're, they're out there and there are some phenomenal women coaching at upper levels. Um, 
but I don't, I don't know if it's like one of those like breaking the glass ceiling. So take for instance, like I posted our assistant position and the majority, actually all of the applicants thus far that I'm reviewing are all male. I haven't had a single female applicant come in yet. Watch and the my first, the, the my first two assistants were women, but I, I went out and sought them. So my first assistant coach was a uh, Maggie Miles, who graduated from Quinnipiac's NCAA program, and her father is the men's head coach here. And I said, "What is Maggie doing?" I sat down with her. We talked. I said, "I think you'll be a really good coach. You should come take my GA position." And then when she left to pursue rugby in Ireland, I needed an assistant and Meredith is a, um, she's been coaching high school basketball for girls, high school softball and rugby um, at the various levels. And I think she had just got like softball coach of the year. So I talked to her and said, I need an assistant coach just kind of like last minute. And that's how I brought her on. But I don't, I like, I don't know if at any point in those times, had I just posted something, would I've ended up with a female assistant? And I know they're, they're out there because I'm on so many of these Facebook groups with women that are like looking at like position stuff and I've posted it, but I have yet to have like, like an application, like an application come in. So I don't know if it's this whole thing where women have a tendency to feel like we're underqualified and I myself in the past have been guilty of it. But I've like set myself some like goals in terms of things that I would like to do somewhere long term down the road. So I, I would like to think that I would just apply as long as it wasn't like I can't move there. Yeah, maybe but, maybe you need to be explicit on your application. You're looking for a coach, female or male. Um, I mean, what's been your experiences of being a female coach, given that? Yeah, I mean, and I agree with you. So actually going to America and Canada. I've been the two places where I've seen the most um, really good female coaches. Like, not like just female coaches, but actually some really good coaches. Um, however, there might be that. It might be, you know, some of the men doing the hiring. It, it could be any type of things. But, I mean, what, what's your experiences been of being a female coach in America? Um... It's been, it's like, it's interesting, I think, because, you know, I, like I, I sit on two pieces of that, right? I'm a female coach, but I'm also a female coach of color. So in like the, prior to this, I coached at a all boys Jesuit high school for seven years um, and was until a friend of mine decided who was an English teacher there decided she wanted to coach but wanted to work with me to see how I sort of like navigated coaching these high school boys I was the only female coach there um for the parents it was like wait women women play rugby and of course the moms love it um because they're like hell yeah and I didn't like <laughs> the high school boys it was like fine like um, because I had street cred, so to speak, you know, you know, because they were being coached by a U.S. Eagle and they knew what that was because 
they have been had access to some male coaches who are former Eagles. So they were like, oh, well, Mama Farrah is legit. And, you know, I also afforded myself the opportunity early on in coaching when, you know, I might have had the high school kid that was a little too smart that I said, okay, you're a consenting adult today, yes? And they'd say yes. And then we would demo the drill. And then the boys would all be like, ooh, and that was it. And then I got to a certain point where I didn't have to demo stuff, but it was always like, okay, well, if I need to step to the plate to make, to make a point with you, then I can. And then that would, that would squash it. Um, every year we take them because it's a private school on tour to prep for nationals. And uh, I should say that like the school's, population is like maybe 900 boys and at any given time um there are like 200 of them or more playing rugby like it's just cr like crazy so we would take them on tour and going abroad with a boys high school team as a coach was super interesting because more often than not they assumed that i was medical staff yeah um, and then foreign referees, my assistant coach was a male, would bypass me altogether, even after they had been introduced to me as a head coach, it would not address me. They would only speak with the assistant. So I, like at first that bothered me. And then I just was like, just found it as like, kind of like one of those things that just was like par for the course when we left the States, um, in the U S like. Um, I think it's a little bit more common, but early on, there weren't a lot of, in my experience, like within our like conference or whatever, there weren't a lot of women like head coaching. So Gonzaga is a big school. So I had coached our second varsity team for, I think about four years. And essentially that would be the first side anywhere else. But because of the depth that we had and the talent, they were the second side team, but we played in a, we played a separate whole, like, like schedule again, like, whereas our first team would, um, but I didn't, there, I didn't see a lot of women head coaching boys. Um, but I think that, that is like, definitely, I think it, over time has like significantly changed. Um, and then I just, I mean, you look at women's more often, you know, it's just like a percentage thing. You just, there are more men coaching, more men are coaching women. So the number of high school girls who play for me, who've had a f like the number of female coaches they've had is really small relative to the number of male coaches. <clears throat> Danielle Waterman said that she said then other coaches walk past her to her assistant coach and, uh, she hasn't quite come to peace with it as, as much as you have. And I'm definitely going to call you Mama Farrah next year because uh, I, like, I like that. It's cool. What uh, I was going to ask you earlier, actually, if you could coach uh, one sex, boys or girls, and any age group for the rest of your life, uh, who would you coach? Oh, man. That's a hard one. Um, I know. I like forever will love my time with the boys um, and I, I miss them a lot, uh, but I don't, 
I think I would coach, I'd coach for him, um, the, like sort of like the college age for women. Nice, why? Because I think that I have, as a coach, the most impact in terms of being able to empower them, not just off of what capable of stretching themselves to do period like I experience I think she might have played some basketball when she in in her youth and had she not walked out to come try rugby because she's like one of those kids that like signs up for everything um she probably would have transferred and I had such a profound impact on her existence on campus outside of sports just because she came to play and met me which meant that we had conversations that were not just about rugby um that were about like life experiences and being able to talk to her about because she's a um african-american woman being able to talk to her about like my experiences at Bowdoin and just things like that you just realize like i mean i was impactful with my high school boys for sure but i think the impact that i'm going to have with these young women at where they are in their development is far more significant for me as a, as a woman. Yeah. I would imagine you're going to have some pretty cool impact. Um, what, what did you learn at Polar Bear Camp? I'm curious, like what's your, I know you do a lot of coaching, but I guess we hang with other coaches and we, we kind of chat and share stuff. What's, what's been the stuff you feel like that's uh, helped you with your coaching? your um your game stuff like i think the 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 last one that like was i really tried to and the girls didn't know what to do with it and they kind of got used to it was like the whole like leveling up and you know after you reach a certain like certain point of success giving them something else that made things difficult like they struggled with that part um and giving them the choice to level it up or add this or take this out or like when I would give them a game and tell them okay when this happens and you guys are going to start doing this and give the other group something different to do and sort of like seeing the frustration and the chaos with them because they were like wait a minute but wh why is that happening like I like I kind of I that for me was like I think a big learning because it, you know it is a forever kind of work in progress around like being comfortable with chaos at practice the way I want them to be comfortable with like having fails. And so like, at, like getting used to adding like those kind of things, which um, it forces me to really think about what I'm, what I really want out of an activity. And then also I think the other big thing that I've learned over time at Bowdoin Camp is that when I, I use, I've taken to doing like, if we're doing like, um, like like a skill work, I try to then follow it with a game. And I try to make the game particular to the skill that we're working on so that like they have success. And then we move on to a different skill and then things sort of kind of get uploaded to we get to the big game where they're working on everything. Um, Cause I feel like I learned that if I'm working on 
catch pass and attacking through space and I create a game that works on both of them, they're only going to have success in one thing because they're going to focus on, they're going to pick some one, one of the two things to focus on and understanding that I have to scale the modified games in the same way because if I give them too many things they have to accomplish, they don't have success and then they get things I feel like get lost in translation and it forces me as a coach to be um, a lot more organized in like what I'm laying out and how I'm explaining things and the way that I try to check for understanding. I also usually let them sort, sort themselves out. Like they'll be screwing up at practice and I'll like be really frustrated because I feel like we've talked about it. So I'll just blow the whistle, I'll call my captain over and I say, you have 45 seconds. You guys need to sort this out, regain your focus. And they'll go, they'll go talk and they huddle up. And so I, I tend to do a lot of team huddles and I don't know what they say because I don't come stand, I don't stand by them. And I let them kind of like suss things out and sometimes it works and sometimes it doesn't. I have to send them back to another huddle. But I try to do a lot more of that, trying to get them to do a little bit more like self-coaching because they're uncomfortable with it. Yeah, and to, and to give it context. So what I've noticed every time I go over is there'll be a lot of people who are haven't played rugby for very long, so they've got quite a low training age as you say there'll be you know 20 30 people turn up the camp and go well what's this funny shape ball um and the that stuff's really alien to them so actually when you spoke it was if you throw in some people with a low training age and you start telling them both different rules then there can be quite a bit of frustration would be my view so how i see Bowden camp is like it's it, it used to be five days it's four days now it's yep. it gets quite frustrating for people and then i think they they get through the fog on the last kind of day and a half both coaches and players if i'm honest um yeah and so it's uh it's tough to stay strong i remember mary beth saying look we need a we need a curriculum we need a you know blah 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 me going you know, MB will be cool. It'll be fine. We'll we'll get through this fog, no dramas type stuff. Um, but I think it's a, I think it's a really interesting context to go coaching because, and same as you would also have really, uh, even at the age you're coaching, you would have huge amounts of difference in. You know, some of the girls have played for ten years. Some of them have played for ten days. Yeah. I mean, I've, I've brought in recruits like crossovers from other sports who like they come to preseason, they're recruited, but they have, they've never even like, I mean, they probably Googled it, like, you know, have some kind of idea, but so like I had one class where I had a Taekwondo crossover who had never, never played. She just reached out and she's like, I'm interested. And I was like, cool, we'll take you. Yeah. You know, and it's like I imagine I, she's I, very good. In these walk-ons that don't have any experience, and you're like, "All right, we're just gonna we're gonna throw you in." And that's usually what happens. And then six months later, they're laughing, telling me the stories of what it was like for their like first three weeks, where they were like, "I had no idea what I was doing, coach," but you said, "Here, just take the ball and do this." 
and that's like that's fun that's fun i like that part i try not to be super i used to talk i mean i still talk a lot but i used to talk a lot but give way too much information so now like when we do catch pass stuff we have four key factors and that's it like if you do those things i don't care where your hands are is like as long as you give the ball that someone can pass and can catch because the rest of it sorts itself out yeah 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 that would be you know and then so along with that then it's also like i try one of the big things that's like been a new thing is uh, women say i'm sorry a lot they apologize i drop the ball i'm sorry my bad and now like i try it's slowly taking on trying to get them not to say i'm sorry and to apologize and just remind yourself or your teammate like what they what the key factor is so that they can focus on that for their skill to coach them up so if like i drop the ball or miss the pass from you you might tell me catch early or i might say to you i gotta catch early like so that they they check in using sort of like our like sort of like key skill lists so that they're always like thinking about like the execution of the skill without overthinking it and it's less stressful in a game if they drop the ball because then it's someone just runs by just get your hand just get your hands up early you got that next time yeah that would be something else that would kind of the peer to peer stuff of Bowden would also be quite sticky to start with. And the other uh, context to you is, and I guess the same with Bowden is, to get in, you've got to be really clever. And so often you have really high achievers who, when they're making mistakes and actually their relationship with failure and mistakes and stuff is is not great. Yeah, yeah, for sure. I mean, I have, I have some of those athletes now and it's like trying to have those like, talk them off the ledge conversations because they dropped the ball at like practice. And so a mistake I made was we used to have a KPI for like our express passing, like where they picked a number that they were going to, assuming that they, because it's practice, they would have dropped balls that like this, this number was like, they were not going to drop more than that number. And then I realized probably like, Wait a little bit late in the game, and I was like, oh, "This is why this is a terrible idea." <laughs> so that was like one of my epic fails. But like, I had to wait to take it out to the next semester because it was like part of their like routine. And if you take routine away from them, it's like, <gasps> "Wait, change is happening. What's happening? Why? 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 Why?" And then the freakout happened. So I was just like, "Okay, well, note to self: this was not smart." You know, it's kind of the same thing where. I realized that playing touch and as like a kind of fun warm-up game is not good for us because when they go to tackle, they just, you know, it's wherever their hands go because in touch, you can touch anywhere. And like, it's a, it's a tag and like realizing watching video, this it's because we play touch. Okay. Well, note to self, we need to find a different like warm-up game. You know, and things like that. And then recognizing like when energy is low. So um, one of our practice games that's like part of routine for us is chicken in the hen house. And when I introduced it, like 
the energy at practice like vastly changed and just remembering like that piece of things is like they're playing because they want to have fun so when we like if we don't we we use chicken in the hen house before we warm up for games like so we'll be on field and it is one of the first warm-up activities we do is they they pair up and I sit there screaming out like their the thing their partner things they're gonna do I'm not allowed to do uh, Christmas tree anymore because before one of our matches um we were doing like a little like run around thing before we got on the bus and we did the Christmas tree and as you know they're competitive so they try to go as fast as they can to be not the group that gets kicked out and someone got kicked in the face and had to go get stitches before we got on the bus so the trainer was like no more Christmas tree I was like okay but yeah so we we play like we play fun we do some like fun games um, um I've been speaking to a few Prem players recently and 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 remarkably even they really want to have fun I mean that is that is why they play rugby. I'll have to get chicken in the hen house off you. But well, last question, and then I'm going to do some one-worders. Uh, what are you most proud of? Um, I think, uh, like, as a coach, I'm probably most proud of my captain right now. Why is that? Um, when I started the program, I was inheriting, like, someone else's team, and she was literally my first recruit. And she is not your U20 all-star. Um, she was kind of a bubble player for us for like when she came into the All-American pool, was selected for camps, but never selected to compete in a match. But her work ethic and her character, I looked at her and said, this is someone I can build a program around. And to see how she has developed like as a leader off field and the work that she's put in to be sort of her best version of herself for the team over these last four years has been amazing. And just, just seeing like her, like her personal growth, like across the board, probably that, like when those, when those kids graduate and you've been able to see them kind of develop over four years into like these amazing adults and you're like, four years ago, you were so immature and you didn't <laughs> want to make mistakes, you didn't talk, you know, and, she came into a program where she was the only scholarship athlete and it was a club program. And it was really hard for her because not only as were there a collective group of athletes that didn't appreciate me um, because I was not the former coach and I represented this change from like the freedom they had as a club program to the restrictions that come with becoming NCAA, but she also represented me. And so there was a lot of sort of undercurrent of animosity and she had a really hard freshman year and she was away from home for the first time so all of these things were kind of like coalescing and I think you know there were these moments where we would sit in my office and the both of us would be like why are we here and to like you know come back look back at that moment when she comes into the office now and we talk about like a program that had you know 22 23 girls with only one scholarship athlete to a program that now has 40, 47 in three years time and that she has been like literally my right-hand person and trying to create the culture that she's going to leave this team with because it's it's essentially her legacy because that was a conversation we had when we recruited it's it's a pretty cool thing yeah. you know and she walks away from you know leaving this program much better 
than where we found it and how we started, but she's got, you know, a, a national title because we took our tier two championship our second year after getting, I mean, the first year we lost to Harvard, like 102 to nothing. I was like, I don't think I've ever lost that bad before. Like, so talk about failure and learning lessons. And the next year we won our tier two and she's, you know, a two-time Naira All-American. Um, she's going to go on to law school. So it, like just all of those things, it's pretty, it's pretty significant and pretty cool. Very cool. You would pass my lips. daughters to be leaving. Like she's one of my original. That's like, you know, that's my marker. I've like, I've had my program now for four years. And like the realization that I've like, I've been here that long. It's just kind of like, oh, well, crap. Yeah, you would uh, you would pass the litmus test that I would uh, uh, allow you to uh, coach my daughter. Uh, one word is to finish, Farah. Uh, I'm going to tell a word. You've got to give me a one word answer, which would be a good <laughs> which would be a good challenge for you. Yeah. Uh, uh, rugby. Passion. Uh, Bowden. Heart. Uh, Mary Beth and Bob. Rugby parents. Uh, Griff. Brilliant. Uh, polar bear camp. Fun. Uh, and coaching. Love. Thank you so much for coming on. I'm looking forward to tagging Maggie Alfonsi in the clip where you talk about her. That will amuse me. Oh, well, it amuses my players because, like, you know, they'll talk about, like, contact stuff and the number of times that I've pulled that clip up in my office to show them and like the expressions and the reactions to that. But I will say like, I mean, I still to this day remember that moment and how hard it, she hit me and the sound that I made as the air left my body, but I did not turn the ball over. <coughs> no. And my friends rocking over me, it was like my hooker, one of my locks looked down and they were like, you're okay. And I was like, okay, I gotta uh, go. It's been a pleasure. Um, Keep in touch. Um, hopefully, I will see you before next year in Bowdoin. We will uh, see what happens. But uh, stay safe, and we'll catch up soon. Sounds good. Cheers. Bye.